0: Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and So here it is, legal disclaimer,
1: because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy. They got nothing on me. In this episode, we're going to be talking about evidence. What kind of evidence do they need to convict people of crimes? When I say they, I'm talking about the prosecution. We talk to people all the time, and they come into our office, and they say, They have nothing on me. I'm like, well, that's why did they charge you with something? And when you say they, do you mean the police or do you mean a person? And sometimes they mean the person, the alleged victim, and sometimes they mean the police. And so we have very interesting conversations because it's very clear that the regular person doesn't totally get what evidence is comes into court when people are charged. I had a recent experience watching court the other day where you could hear somebody say, well, they don't have anything on me. And they say, why? And they say, well, because it's just her word against mine. Well, guess what? Her word is called testimony. Testimony is evidence. And sometimes that's the only evidence that's there. And a judge has to determine if she's credible enough and not only credible enough, but to support that you did whatever she says you did beyond a reasonable doubt. That's all they need it can just be someone's word. You don't need a recording. You don't need a videotape. You don't need documents and you don't need a confession. If someone says you did something that can be enough for evidence. But I know that most people out there really have a problem with that.
0: Well, it's, I, I would blame if there's some way to blame, but it's the TV shows that you have, you have all these, you know, CSI, they have, you know, mounds and mounds of evidence, uh, Physical evidence you have DNA all the scientific evidence all the scientific evidence that comes out of you know people's behinds that is just ridiculous in these movies and people are accustomed to that and they they believe that that's how every case is tried and won but the reality is uh, maybe not so much now but ten years ago rarely were things videotaped Uh, we didn't have the amount of security cameras out there people weren't walking around with their own private video camera that they could pull out of their pocket. Uh, within seconds to film everything, but that's not necessary now either. Cases are often won and lost just on the testimony of an individual, could be the defendant, it could be the the complainant, and if they are believed or disbelieved, it will directly affect
2: the outcome of the case. And that is evidence, like Anna was saying. In fact, I'd say probably the most prevalent evidence, especially in general district court, is testimony of witnesses. You have an officer, who saw something on the road, he's going to be the primary witness in a lot of traffic cases, telling the judge what he saw, what he observed, Uh, or in a shoplifting case, you might have the loss prevention officer who's going to testify that they saw this person concealing items in their purse or in their jacket. And so I think a lot of times it's going to be mostly just the testimonial evidence, sometimes with video from the police car, from the loss prevention, from the store, but mostly it's going to be the testimony.
1: And what is your experience with your layperson's understanding of evidence? So
3: I do a lot of protective orders and domestic assault, and there usually are allegations. And then there's a lot of texting or WhatsApp messages or Snapchats or Messenger or things that go back and forth where the true reasons for a charge being filed or protective order being filed come out, whether it's revenge or custody or divorce or immigration or Sometimes the client actually admits that they've done something and they're apologizing or trying to make amends to pay for property they damaged or apologizing for the injuries that they caused somebody. So for me, it's sifting through all those documents and photos and text messages and social media profiles to see what evidence we can use to attack a witness's statements and what evidence we can use to protect my client.
0: What, what's real important to remember is a lot of that just was not available when the system was created. You didn't have text messages. You had maybe smoke signals, and you can't bring that into court. So people were just, the system is created or was created to rely on people telling the truth. Witnesses swear under oath that they're going to tell the truth, and it is heavily punished if you lie or should be. I can't remember ever seeing a perjury trial in any of the jurisdictions I practice in, but- The power of the word has always been great. And if you have somebody coming in, that very well could be all the evidence that you need. Somebody coming in and testifying before the jury, testifying before the court. And Virginia, I'll give you rape as an example. Rape, the word of the victim, is enough. They do not need to have Injury. They don't need to have physical evidence, physical evidence being DNA, scratches, anything Oh uh, the word of an individual against another is enough to obtain a conviction. It, it just is. It just is.
1: And the, what's interesting, too, though, is what you think might be enough for a conviction isn't always, you know, you hear about people, independent witnesses watching two people who appear to be in an assault and battery situation, that one person is battering, the other person is harming them. The other person is crying out for help. The person that is battered uh, or appears to be being battered doesn't come to court and doesn't testify. And Anne sees this a lot in domestic violence cases. Sometimes that does happen where people don't come. Oftentimes those cases are dropped. But if you try to go forward with an independent witness, sometimes those cases are thrown out because what's little known fact is there are, consent defenses to batteries there are you know if two people get in a fight but it's consensual like two guys go back outside and decide they're just going to wail at each other an outside observer might think there's an assault going on because one person lost the fight but and charges can be brought just by that outside observer but you can't necessarily make a conviction because you don't have somebody there explaining that they are in fact the victim that they didn't want they didn't invite the battery they didn't invite the assault we often call it mutual combat in um an assault and battery situation, but there are many times that when somebody who's considered the victim, who's been viewed by an independent witness, that's not enough evidence to find somebody guilty. And that's when it comes down to uh, circumstantial cases, which I think a lot of us have had cases where no one's seen anything, but it's the circumstantial evidence suggests that the person charged is the one that did it, and that's enough to find a conviction. And circumstantial evidence can take many forms. It's not just testimonial, uh, it's not often testimonial. It is often what are you found with? Let's say there's a burglary, and a couple hours later you're found with items from that house at a pawn shop. No one saw you go in the house that was burgled, but there is an inference that you have items from that house at a pawn shop. And trying, and those were not yours, and they're stolen property. That you're the one who burgled the house. So as an example of circumstantial evidence that can be used to convict somebody of a crime. But
3: there's and also a lot of situations too where it's what you don't say. So in domestic cases, or even if you're with a friend who's shoplifting or whatever's going on, sometimes you don't say things that could protect you. Like if somebody hit you, but you don't want them to be in trouble and you just and you don't explain that you were just defending yourself when you push them. I've had cases where somebody says, yeah, I pushed her, but they don't tell the full part about what that person did to them. They're just being honest with what they did because they don't want anybody to be in trouble. And then guess what? Those statements are used against you. And it's hard prosecutors and judges to go back and believe that the person did something to you because you didn't tell that to the officers when they came out. So sometimes it's what you say, it's what you don't say. Or if you're with somebody and a friend shoplifting or something, you really don't know and you don't explain that. Or you say, oh yeah, I did know that they were doing that or whatever the case may be. Your statements a lot of times can get you into trouble with what you do or don't say, depending on what it is.
2: And to follow up on that, it's tough if you try to fill in the rest of the story when you get to court not having told the officer, because it sounds like you've now manufactured a portion of the story to try to help you out. And that's why if you're going to talk, probably tell the whole story, but probably I would go back to say the best thing to do is don't talk to the police. That way there are no statements that they can use against you. And you can tell your story for the first time to the judge. And there's no way to impeach that, to try to say that you change your story or that you're adding to the story at this point.
3: Or what about the cases where that you guys have all had, I'm sure, where everybody's in the car or they're in a room and there's marijuana or drugs in the middle of the table and the cops come in and they don't know whose it is. And I think you've all had cases where the police charge everybody because they're not really sure whose it is. Yeah, I love and those cases. What do you guys think about that kind of circumstantial evidence as far as who's possessing it?
0: Well, they, they still have to prove that each one knew that the what was in there was marijuana and they have to know the substance, but there, there was a case that came out and Tony's going to remember this. It, it's maybe I'm, I'm, I'm confusing too, but it wasn't uh, so much. It, it was something was inside a cigarette pack and it was known, or maybe they thought it was a different type of drug, but it turned out to be something else. And the court of appeals or the Supreme court said, wait a second, the fact that you knew it was something illegal, <laughs> We're still finding it okay to find you guilty of the more serious offense of a more serious drug.
2: The flip side of that, though, is there's also a case where there were drugs, pills found in a woman's purse, and there were no statements because there was a motion to suppress. Without the statements, they couldn't prove that she knew what was in the purse, and that case was reversed. The conviction was reversed. So, again, uh, by not having made those statements to the police, they were not able to secure the conviction.
1: Well, in drug cases, whenever you have the cases with tons of people in a room or in a car and, and drugs are in, even, even when drugs are in plain view, the most important thing is to be quiet, like not say a word. Because at the end of the day, there's there are cases where people are literally sitting next to what are found to be crack cocaine rocks or even marijuana, but they're in a car full of other people. And so not only does there have to be a knowledge, but there has to be possession and possession is, is dominion and control as well like the ability to control those items. And if you say, if you say anything like, oh, that's not my cocaine. Well, that means one, you knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And if you're right next to it, then you can exercise dominion and control over those drugs. So the most important thing in any case where the evidence has to be circumstantial to find you guilty, just be quiet. Don't add don't add to the knowledge of the police, unless you want to be convicted. I mean, there's some of my clients who are very honorable and say they're going to take their charges, um, and so they're going to admit to what's theirs, but what isn't theirs, you're not going to admit to. Great. That's very honorable. By the way, I've you're probably client, going to get also charged with everything.
2: I've also had clients who want to take the blame to protect their friends or protect their girlfriend and say, I'm going to say that's mine so that she doesn't get in trouble. Video
3: and things are huge right now in DUI cases. I think a lot of judges, they like seeing it for themselves and making a decision on whether they think somebody's impaired or how they're looking. Same with interlock violations. If you have to have a device installed, they all have cameras now, most of them, I think. And it takes a photo of whoever's blowing. So those old days of saying, hey, somebody else did that, not me. It's tough to do that nowadays because the camera right. going to show the judge exactly who did it.
2: And there are cameras everywhere now. There are everywhere. body-worn cameras for the police or in-car video cameras for the police cars. Uh, everybody and the brother has a cell phone that records all the time.
0: And DWIs, actually, it's, those are one of the few cases that I think a video helps more often than it does not. The driving behavior is never as bad as described on a written paper. Well, you're right.
2: You're but, right. You're right. I, well, you I think it helps but, in either direction. Either you know you have to make a deal, or yes. you know this has to go to trial. I think it helps either way.
0: It helps to it, I, let's face it. Many times in these DWIs, the, the client may not remember what happened. I was gonna
3: say like so, sometimes people are impaired or they're not remembering clearly, and so being able to see it. And sometimes they don't even want to watch it. I've had clients say, "I don't want to watch it. Just tell me what happened." Like they're yeah. too embarrassed. Or I've had them take a plea deal instead of going to trial because they don't want it shown in the courtroom. Like, why don't you hire me?
0: (laughs) Another example of the power of testimony as well, before videos came out, it was really just a police officer just testifying. And that still can happen because even if you have a result on the breathalyzer or when you blow at the station, you come out with a result, your BAC, your blood alcohol content is a 0.14. Well, as attorneys, we try like hell to keep that certificate out as evidence, And we're successful sometimes because there's a lot of I's that need to be dotted, a lot of T's that need to be crossed before that certificate comes in but even with that certificate out the testimony of the police officer could be enough to find you guilty of driving under the influence it may not be because of the value that you blew but it's because of the police officer's ability to articulate what he saw odor of alcohol uh, unable to s- maintain your balance things like that those are all that's the power of testimony i think people the general public sleeps on the power of the of the word and then they're, they're always surprised when that's enough to a bring a charge and b get a conviction
3: But there's also like the different types of evidence. Like, think about an assault case where there's a, emergency protective order that's issued, you have a either a criminal complaint or the officer has made an arrest and obtained a warrant for somebody and there'll be a police report with whatever statements or videos. And then sometimes the person will file to extend that protective order. So they'll have a written petition or you get a bill of particulars to see whatever those allegations are. And then they come to court and they're saying something completely different when the prosecutors are reviewing things with them in the side room. So they have to come out and tell us, oh, here's some exculpatory information. These statements aren't matching up or I can't go forward on it, or, oh, by the way, here's some worse evidence for you guys now. And then you're stuck trying to cross-examine and look at all that different, all the differing statements and, and evidence that y- you have before you. And then sometimes the judge just doesn't know what to do with the case when you have those types of things, and it could benefit your
1: client in the end, even if maybe they did do something wrong. good point. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think that one thing that people need to understand is that there can be cases that, for a variety of reasons, need a ton of evidence the cases where you may have like multiple. <laughs> exactly. Some complex robberies with multiple co defendants or conspiracies or murder cases where you need to tie people into things. And it's like also the case, like
3: the case Alberto and I have with the 10 co defendants where they tracked every movement these 10 kids had by the ankle GPS monitor he was wearing for probation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was the bottom line is. There's a lot of cases where I have clients who say, you know, people can just go to the magistrate and swear out and on their word, I can be charged with a misdemeanor or that to a lot of people just blows their mind. Because as we talked about before, criminal law, criminal offenses are really, really serious. They're considered, you know, this isn't like going to file a a lawsuit against somebody or for a small civil claim and you hurt me. I, you know, Judge Judy, I need $500 because, you know, you punched me in the mouth and I want you to pay for my dental work. Maybe it's more than $500. But the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people can't believe that something, a series of a criminal offense can just be based on someone's word alone. And they also, I I have to say, I don't know how many times that I have to tell a client or I watch someone after a trial yell at their lawyer because they're like, you didn't tell her she was a liar while she was on the stand. (laughs) It is not effective cross-examination to yell at somebody and be like, so you lying then, you're lying now. Or you're a liar, you know, because that's not what my client told me happened. Like that that is not effective. But it, people believe that we should be able to
0: do that and that will may, persuade the judge. You mean requiring the witness to pinky swear is not effective. <laughs> is that what you're saying? cross <laughs> <Perhaps. laughs> my fingers that's, hope but to that's die where
3: you have to have good client control because of the attorney you have to make those decisions and yes there are times my clients have really good points and questions i want to get out or something that comes up that they say oh they're asking this or or you know t- ask them about this thing or, or that's not what happened and then you can grow the person on that and it does expose some things but a lot of times some of the things they want you to cross-examine or question someone on it's our decision at the end of the day on how we want to do that. And we're doing that because we have the experience and the knowledge and the training to try to get you the best outcome possible. And you got to put a little faith in us.
0: (laughs) And just to to bring back, uh, Anna, you brought up the point about clients being surprised that someone can go to the magistrate. Think about the system. I mean, you really, the, the system is created to favor honesty. So if you were the victim of a crime, do you feel like you need to go out there and gather all this evidence first? Make sure you have a video. Uh, make sure you collect the DNA, send it off before. Only or if get, it's a dog poop case. Well, yeah, I was about to say that if there was a dog poop case, you know, <laughs> like get that. Uh, listen, uh, this, this poop came from a 25% boxer. So it definitely is your, you know, do you really want that? Or do you think you should be able to go to the magistrate and say, hey, this happened to me. I was assaulted. I my property was destroyed. It's it's interesting. The system begins with the presumption that someone is telling the truth, but then and It's
3: also a lower standard again is than standard. it is right. to
0: convict. Because so. the hy- the hypocrisy is then the defendant is presumed to be innocent. So the presumption is the person's lying. <laughs> the system <laughs> right? It's, it's it's actually interesting, but the evidence Ladies is, and is, gentlemen,
1: Alberto is having an existential
0: crisis. Um, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, why am I here? I'm just joking. Because
1: <laughs> <laughs> we force you to be
0: here. Because no, no, no. it's Wednesday. Oh, we're not supposed to give up the day. We're here 24 hours a day. Actually, it's not Seven Wednesday. Days. I think
1: it's Wednesday. It's Tuesday.
0: Oh yeah, my God! Like God. I thought it was right
1: Wednesday Tuesday. all day long. <laughs> what is it Tony's on mute. Is is there any evidence that Tony is? Part of this podcast right
3: now. <laughs> Tony should like talk about the speeding cases because so many people are convicted on just the officer saying, I clocked you going this speed and yep. people don't under, or I, you ran that red light or you were swerving outside of your lane or didn't stop at that stop sign or rolled through it.
2: Well, I did have one state trooper who testified that his LiDAR was working. And that's all he said about it. He had no certificates of calibration, never offered them into evidence. And after the judge convicted, the rationale was, well, he said the LiDAR was working and that's all he needed for the conviction.
0: Huh. I had the worst experience once. And this is a very, the prosecutor still working there, but she was, she and I laugh about it now. I had a judge tell me one time when I said that the victim com- the the witness was lying about being assaulted the judge literally said well why else would they come to court and testify <laughs> and i was uh, very angry and had to one of our one of our guess Chris Holly had to escort me out of the courtroom because I was so angry.
3: <laughs> but that's the sad part about the criminal justice system is most people think if have a tendency to think, well, if the person wouldn't have charged it or there has to be some truth to what happened in order for this to have gone forward. And that's not necessarily the case people do take advantage of the criminal justice system and things are made up or exaggerated, or sometimes they're the ones that have done something. And there's that saying, the victim is the first person to get to the magistrate or to the police. Like it's a true thing because sometimes that's the person that really was the aggressor. And then they end up charging somebody else. and, And it's hard to play catch up once that happens sometimes.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think people are really surprised about how the criminal justice system can backfire. And it's it's not necessarily about justice. It's kind of about who got in the door first and who can manipulate the system. And uh, I think prosecutors and defense attorneys really try and judges try to get to the point. But I think what Alberta was saying, you know, when he got escorted out, you know, when someone says to me, why would someone come to court? Why would someone perjure themselves? People have, people. what I've learned in this job is people have all sorts of motivations None of them, some of them that don't make any sense as to why they will come in and say what they say. I had a woman accuse her ex-boyfriend of robbery. I didn't represent the woman. I called her and I said, well, what's the basis of this? I just called her up because she didn't, she said, well, he was stepping out with another woman. So he got mad at me and like threw my purse outside. So when the police got there, I told them that he robbed me of my purse. And I was like, Well, that's just a straight up lie. You just, you li- you had him, he was arrested for a felony. Uh, he was hell without bond. But her rationale was, She's like, Well, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I'm sorry about that. Oh, I'm not going to. And then I handed the phone to the detective who happened to be in the hallway of the juvenile court. And he spoke to her and just looked at me and he said, I'll ask the prosecutor to drop it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But her motivation, her motivation was she was just mad. And someone just being mad for that moment, for him to be with his other baby's mother is just an awful, it's awful. And she was willing to come to court where he was facing five to life to testify to this.
3: Well, I think Tony said this on one of our last episodes, it takes away from the victims and the people that really do need the help and protection or the people that really should be convicted for maybe more serious crimes and that sort of thing. And so when people do that, It makes the judge's job harder. It clogs the court system and it's not letting the right people get the help that they need. And it causes innocent people to end up in jail or taking convictions for things they may not have done because they're too scared of the consequences otherwise.
1: And that's on the power of testimony and testimonial evidence as we sort of started out with, you know, there's lots of different types of evidence, but that has been historically what gets many people convicted is the testimonial evidence. Very rare that a judge determines on all that someone is just so incredible that they're not going to consider their testimony. And I think people really just should understand that. And so when you come in to see your lawyer and they ask what evidence is against you and you know that it may just be based on someone's word, type of evidence that we might need to help break down that person's word are text messages, other instances where this person has possibly lied, other people who could speak to your truthfulness or their truthfulness, but th- we need to be able to attack that evidence rather than you saying, well, there's no evidence against. You. Give us an opportunity when you come hire us to prepare for this person's testimony against you. We don't you don't always have that information. Sometimes it's a stranger. But oftentimes in our my experience, especially where we have civilian complaints, people are known to each other.
2: I'll leave you with that. Thanks for joining us on Crime Time. Please join us again for our next episode. <music>